God is security. Amen. God bless you. I want to welcome you all to the service. For those of you that journeyed from your kitchen to wherever you're watching this, God bless you. For those of you that journeyed a little further and made it here, God bless you a little bit more. <laughs> anyway, we welcome you all wherever you are. Nice to be in the house of the Lord again. Good to see Brother Max and Brother John here. They made it safe from Grand Prairie. And uh, God bless them with some good services there. And they were a blessing to the saints. And um, on the way back, they happened to listen to some of our services. And they started all over. So we certainly had a good weekend of meetings. There was a lot in there. It was intense, but it was very good. And I think there were some very good foundational points about our position, about God's family order, about the role of the man and the woman. And I, I would just trust it's not just information or learning, but it is, these are things that we must um, begin to step into and apply. Amen. And um, if you need to, go back to the services you also have a book you can go back into. Much of the message comes out of that. And, um, you know, the Lord willing, we will come back and, and take up some of these things at intervals to refresh us, just to give us a little clarity in our mind. You know, you, you have these phones, and you can have what they call an app running in the background. You know what that is? Like you're, there's an app that's running. It's there. It's taking up some of your battery. And, you know, if you have like 15 apps running. But I, can I make a suggestion? Whatever you're in and whatever you're studying, keep the app on marriage and family running in the background, okay? Does that sound good? Because I think that's something you can take every day and it'll be a blessing. It'll make your life better. Yeah. Amen. So you've also got the book to look to, so... One thing that should come out is the absolute of this message. I'll tell you what, there is no message that will produce this on the face of the earth, what God is looking for except this message. I, I, I think we need to be very thankful. It's not just a series of quotes and things. In fact, I don't even like to refer to it as quotes. I like to refer to it as truths. Truths. Even... even Peter referred to Paul's message as Scripture. And I think we can almost refer to this message as Scripture for us. So, at any rate, it's something you can lean on and hang your soul on. You know, when the prophet went beyond the curtain of time, there was a group of believers identified there. And, and you know, we were talking about how the prophet's message had to be judged and when he said, I preached every word that Paul preached, what did they all say? We are resting on that. That's our surety. Amen. Let's, that's all the singing. Thank you to the musicians. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs 8, verse 20. I'm going to refer to some scriptures. Um, this will be from message I spoke a Wednesday, a few Wednesdays back. I don't expect you to remember what was ministered, and, but I, I spoke on return, and I will cause thee to inherit the desolate heritage. So this will be a part of that. I'm also going to 
couple that with something we spoke about a month ago on God's foundation seal, and I'd like to bring that together, but let's just pick it up. Proverbs chapter 8, we're going to start reading in verse 20, and uh, I lead thee in the way of righteousness in the midst of the paths of judgments, that I may cause those that love me to inherit substance, and I will fill their treasures." That's, that's a promise. God, God's going to do it. He's going to cause this to happen. The Lord possessed me in the beginning of his way before his works of old. I was set up from everlasting and from the beginning or ever the earth was. Jesus told his disciples, you were with me before the foundation of the world, but you don't remember it in your mind, but you were there. So if there's a seed in the believer that identifies with it, and you can't control it. It's almost subconscious, and it causes you to agree with the truth. It causes you to want and to hunger after this. So he says, I was set up from everlasting from the beginning or ever the earth was. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there was no fountains abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills, was I brought forth. While as yet he had not made the earth, nor the fields, nor the highest part of the dust of the world, when he prepared the heavens, I was there. Oh my. There, when he set a compass on the face of the depth, when he established the clouds above me, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he gave to the sea his decree that the water should not pass his commandment, when he appointed the foundations of the earth, then I was by him. As one brought up with him, I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in the habitable part habitable part of his earth, and my delights were with the sons of men. I want to speak tonight, return for the seed, for the seal is a surety to thee. Let's just bow our heads in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, how thankful we are for your word, your truths. Lord, it's a Wednesday. We've worked now we just want to take a few moments in your word. Lord, I pray that you'll bring inspiration. I pray you'll bring unction. I pray you'll bring revelation, Lord. And Lord, in the world we live in, it's shifting. It's going this way, that way. But Lord, there is a place of rest. There is a place of surety. There is a place that we can come to. And Lord, I believe that you intend us to be that way, not to be tossed to and fro, not to be given to everything that changes around us. But Lord, let us find that place. I pray you'll bless your people that are listening in, those that have come out. We commit the service to you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have your seats. And I'll just turn right to the Scripture in Isaiah chapter 49. We read this last time as well, but we're going to just pick it up from verse 8. Jer uh, Isaiah chapter 49, verse 8. Thus saith the Lord, In an acceptable time have I heard thee, and in the day of salvation have I helped thee, and I will preserve thee, and I will give thee for a covenant of the people to establish the earth, to cause to inherit the desolate heritages." 
that you may go f- say to the prisoners, go forth to them that are in darkness, show yourself, they shall feed in the ways, and their pastors shall be in all the high places. Now, he's going to bring back what we had at the beginning in a time of desolation, in a time when, when you're going to need to know beyond what your mind can reason, beyond what you can prove to this world, but something that God makes real to you that you can hang your hat on. He says, They shall not hunger nor thirst, neither shall the heat nor the sun smite them, for he that hath mercy on them shall lead them. Even by the springs of water shall he guide them, and I will make my mountains away, and my highway shall be exalted. Let's just read a little further. Behold, these that shall come from these shall come from far and low, from the north and from the west and from the land of Simon. Sing, O heavens, be joyful, O earth, and break into singing, O mountains, for the Lord hath comforted his people, and will have mercy on his afflicted. And we'll just stop the reading there. Let's we'll just leave it there. Now, I want to take this, and it's going to be a little bit from the scene that we've been taking at the time of the captivity that Israel goes to, but I want to start a little bit before that. So the scene, if I can start, it's down in Israel, and I want you just to take the Bible as a type, as a reflection of God knowing, and it's sometimes history repeats itself, and, and God in types and in shadows teaches us and makes his way clear. But it was down in Israel... When there was a nation that had come on the earth, it had started from Abraham, and you you know that you can read in the book of Matthew, from Abraham to David was 14 generations, from David to Christ was 14 generations, and actually it's interesting because it was 13, but we're going to come to that in another time. And, And if you just take this, and it was... David had come, and it was a pinnacle, or it was a dividing point, even that Matthew alluded to. And here's David, a chosen king, a godly king, a man after God's own heart. And he brought Israel into a place where they were, uh, they were, they were worshiping Jehovah, where they were the people of God. They were in the city of God, Zion, as it was identified, Jerusalem, the city of the king. And it was at this that God had established this about all the other nations. And in fact, David, who desired now to bring a temple before God, and yet God wouldn't allow him, and he would pass this on as an inheritance to his son Solomon. And Solomon would bring about this glorious temple, and it was such a temple that even all the world wondered at. The queen of Sheba came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And it was a pinnacle, it was a golden age. Brother Bannon would actually talk about it, and he would say it was a millennium for the Jews. And let me just read a little bit of that just so we can say it. This is God manifesting his gifts. And, and he would say it was Solomon's age. It was a millennium for the Jews, a golden age. Solomon was a foretype of Christ in that he built the temple and so forth. And in that age, Solomon gave a gift, and all of Israel recognized that gift, and they prospered under the reign of that gift. He said, if they would not have believed the gift that God sent, they would not have prospered. But it, they had to recognize it. So God sent this marvelous gift, and all of Israel flourished, and they became a mighty nation of the earth because they recognized it. So, and, and he would say, everyone would do it, and, and we could say much about it. But even in Solomon, it was... Not just Solomon, but it was God in Solomon. It was a gift within him. 
And, and Solomon himself, even at the end of his life, he began to fall away from that pinnacle or that glory. And, and, and you know, it, and it was just the same even for the Ephesian age. That was an age that was like no other age in the Gentile age. They almost came to a pinnacle, but yet before they could, they would fall away. And yet God had reserved something for the Jews that was not fulfilled in the time of Solomon. God also had something reserved for the Gentiles that was not fulfilled in the time of the Ephesians. But it would fall off and it would go into a captivity. <coughs> so let's just take Israel for a moment. i got to slow down a little bit here. I, I got, you know what? I, wherever I get to today, I'm going to get to. And, and we're just going to close. And if, I just want the Lord to lead it. Whatever came after Solomon was the successions of lesser and inferior kings. And, and at the time of Solomon, as he decayed, it, it went to his son, Rehoboam, who actually walked in his father's footsteps naturally and, 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 and oppressed the people. And there was a rebellion and ten tribes became Israel, and two tribes became Judah for David's sake, as God would say. But it became a downfall of events and kings until finally it hit a pinnacle. Let's just read 1 Kings, 1 Kings 16. And, and in here is, is where uh, it, it, it begins to, to talk, and, and, and you, you could follow this through in the Scriptures, but this will just be kind of a dividing point that you can pick up. 1 Kings 16, verse 23. In the 30 and first year of Asa, the king of Judah began Omni to, Omri to, to reign over Israel. Twelve years he reigned in Tizra, and he brought the hill Sisra of Shemar for two talents of silver and built on the hill and called the name of the city which he built uh, the name of Shemar, owner of the hill Samaria. But Omni, Omni wrought evil in the eyes of the Lord, and he did worse than all that were before him. You know, it, if, if, it's one thing about mankind. You know, if you look at children and, and you look at their innocency, you know, I could show you pictures of children. They were innocent and they're beautiful. But some of these children became mass murderers. Some became rapists. Some became they, they. There was a degradation. There was a loss of innocency that happened somewhere, and and I would say in the world, Satan is always trying to scar us and to maim us. And and you know, the more we give in, the more susceptible we are. That's why you need the blood. That's why you need a washing. That's why you need to continually be restored, like an eagle is restored. And I, I would say, you know, it's, it's easy for your conscience. You, you let one thing go and then the next thing comes. And this is what happened here. It was every king was successively worse. But this Omri did worse than all that were before him. For he walked in all the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. That was really the, uh, a critical point. You can follow this through in the Bible. But he, in his sin... He made Israel to sin to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger with their vanities. So let's just, just drop off there. And then Omri passes away and he slept with his fathers. Verse 20. Let's go to verse 28. I don't know if that's what I gave you. I, I'm, I'm just missing the scriptures a bit for you, Brother Mark. Sorry about that. And Omri slept. And then his son, 
by the name of Ahab reigned in his stead. Now Ahab, again, he didn't just come about, but he, he had a way made for him. And the Bible says, So in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, began Ahab the son of Omri to reign over Israel. And Ahab the son of Omri reigned over Israel and Samaria 22 years. Now listen to this. Ahab the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. You know, I, I, I don't know if you look, you know, the Bible talks about the days of Noah and talks about the days of Lot, but the days of Noah, you know, it, it was, it, 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 the Bible would say they, it got so bad till there was no remedy. There, there is no more redemption for the nations in this age. There's redemption for individuals, but not for the nations anymore. You, you can't stop it anymore. It, it's gone so far. And, and yet, so it came to pass, in verse 31, as it, if, if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the sons of Nebat, that he took to wife. So it, it was easy. It was light for him to walk in the sins of his forefathers, so much so that he took Jezebel, the daughter of a heathen king, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. And not only that, raised up an altar in the house uh, for Baal, in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. And Ahab made a grove, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. So this is... Now, if you lived in Israel... You may have heard about the glory of Solomon. But if you lived in these successive kings, you would never have known it. And let me just say it this way. We grew up in denominations and different places. And, and maybe we were accustomed to a certain thing. But we re never really came to the fullness. We never really knew it in its great uh, might and, and such. And yet that's right where we're at. And God is desiring to bring that to us. So now I, I, I say all of that, and, and, and finally it came to a place where there was no solution and God would have to deal with Israel as a nation, and he had different ways of doing it. It was through pestilence, it was through plagues, it was through enemies. So let's just go to Jeremiah. This is <coughs> really where I wanted to get to. I had to lay a little bit of a foundation. But Jeremiah 25, let's pick it up in verse 3. So Jeremiah is living in a certain time. And from the thirteenth year of Josiah, the son of Amnon, king of Judah, even unto this day, this is the third and twentieth year, the word of the Lord came to me and said, I have spoken unto you, rising up and speaking, but you have not hearkened. And the Lord has sent unto you, he's now Jeremiah is a prophet to Israel, but also to the nations. And the Lord has sent you all his servants, the prophets, rising early, and sending them, but you have not hearkened nor inclined your ear to hear. And they said, Turn you again, every one, from his evil way and from the evil of your doing, and dwell in the land that the Lord has given you and to your fathers forever and ever, and go not after other gods to serve them, to worship men, and provoke me to anger with the works of your hands, and I will do you no hurt. <coughs> Excuse me. You ha yet you have hearkened. You have not hearkened unto me saith the Lord, but you might provoke me with anger to the works of your hands to your hurt. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, because you have not heard my words. Now here's the judgment. 
And Jeremiah is the prophet that has to utter this. Behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, saith the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant, I'll bring them against this land and against the inhabitants, against all the nations, and I will utterly destroy them, make them an astonishment and a hissing and a perpetual desolations. Moreover, I'll take from you the voice of mirth, the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstones, the light of the candle. And the whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Now this is God's judgment to a nation that had declined. So they were going to go into this period. And, and, and even the Ephesian age, if I can use this as a parallel, because the 70 years almost parallels the seven church ages. Because they would live in a land of desolations, not the fullness, not the, the real knowledge. But at the end of the seven church ages, God promised a restoration. So I need to bring this in the negative to bring the positive. And in verse 12, and it shall come to pass when the 70 years are accomplished that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation saith the Lord, for their iniquity and the land of the Chaldeans and make it perpetual desolations. And he goes on to speak of all their judgments. So whatever God does to his chosen children is only for a season for their working out. And whatever God from the beginning allowed Adam's race to go into, it was only for a season, but it was to bring them back out again. <coughs> And at the coming out, it would take a, a, a work of God that would have to be beyond all the others. Now, I, I, I need to just go down this a little bit. Jeremiah 29. So, God, Jeremiah's, I could take, you know, chapter 4, chapter 6, chapter 16, chapter 18. Read those first verses and talk about the burden of Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. But finally, God says, this is the judgment but as he says, it'll only be for 70 years. It'll only be so long. And now, and then he tells him in Jeremiah 29, and, and the, the, this you know well, Jeremiah 29, verse 10. For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I'll visit you and perform my good word in you. Now here's, here's the, the thought, in causing you to return to this place. So it was God that allowed Jeremiah, Nebuchadnezzar, but it was God that was going to cause a return. And, and friends, you and I are living when God is causing a return. And we need to accept it and we need to see it. <coughs> it's not our works. It's not under a man anointing. It's not our fastings. It's not our prayers. But it's God causing this. And yet you may have to be sincere. And he says, For I know the thoughts I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall you call on me, and you shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you, and you shall seek me and find me, 
when you shall search for me with all your heart, and I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity, and I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places whither I have driven to you, saith the Lord, and I will bring you again into the place where I've caused you to be carried away captive. So this is almost a dual prophecy because it speaks also of Israel. And we live in that time when God is bringing Israel to their place, bringing them to their land, just as he's closing the Gentile age also. And as Israel is in the land, it's a, sign, it's a, it's a signpost for us that, that the de- Gentile days are almost over. Now, I, I, I'm going to need to just relate this a little bit. Let's, because... Here it relates to their natural land. And we are typing this with our spiritual land. So let's just go, because God is a God that has law and order, and he doesn't do anything. He cannot go against his word. So Leviticus 26. Let's just take something going back in the Bible. Leviticus 26. Let's just pick it up in verse 14. And he is warning Israel, but if you will not hearken unto me and will not do all these commands, and if you shall despise my statutes or your soul abhor my judgments, so that you do, that you will not do my covenants, but that you break my covenant. Now he really goes into different chastisements in verse 16 is the first to 17 and then 18. He goes into different chastisements, but let's just go down to Verse 32, and I will bring you, I will bring the land into desolation, and your enemies shall dwell therein, shall be astonished at it, which dwell therein, and I will scatter you among the heathen, and I will draw the sword after you, and your land will be desolate, and your cities will be waste. Now, that, that's the land. That's the condition of the land. But, but the land still belongs to them. And God's doing it for a purpose. And he says this in verse 34. Then shall the land enjoy her Sabbaths. As long as it lay, lies desolate and you be in your enemy's land, even then shall the land rest and enjoy her Sabbath. And as long as it lieth desolate shall rest, because it did not rest in your Sabbaths when you dwelt in it. Now, the law of the land was that you had a piece of land, you would work the land for six years, and in the seventh year, you would let it rest. You wouldn't do anything. But because their heart had not been turned, you found Israel would not obey that law, and they would actually try to milk something from that land, and they wouldn't take it. And God numbered that, and he watched that. In fact, you can go back into the Bible and the message, and and, and in the time of Daniel, and and God speaking to them and saying, you know, it'll be so many years, it'll be this and this. And And he says, 490 years... Uh, that you didn't obey me, so therefore, out of 490, 70 times 7, 70 years you'll go into captivity. The 70 was a direct result for every year that they did not allow a rest. Now God cannot change his mind about his word. 
So it, it was what God was doing. Now, I, I need to now bring this into the main part of the thought. And this was actually where I was aiming to get to in the last service. But this is in Jeremiah chapter 32. Now, Jeremiah has already said that I, I, I'm going to, Nebuchadnezzar will be used for seven years, and then you're going to come back. And then he would already told them, I know the thoughts that I think for you. But now let's do it. God did not stop by just saying that because the people that would come back at the end of the 70 years, they needed something sure. They needed something that they could lay their hands on. They needed to know that this was, that there was a God that was there. So God begins to do something through Jeremiah. This is Jeremiah chapter 32. Let's just pick it up here in verse 6. I'm using a few scriptures, but I trust you're with me. Are you with me? This is changing gears, but let's thank God for it. All of this is his word. And in verse 6, And Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, thine uncle, shall come to thee, saying, Buy thee my field that is in Anatoth, for the right of redemption is thine to buy it. And I'll just come back to that in a minute. So remember, the land could not be sold, but it could be redeemed all the time. So Hanamel, mine uncle's son, came to me in the court of the prison, according to the word of the Lord. He says, Buy the field, I pray thee, that is in Anatoth, which is the country of Benjamin, for the right of redemption is thine, and the redemption is thine. Buy it for thyself. And I knew this was the word of the Lord. So God uses this symbol to show what he is doing uh, spiritually that he will do. But he has the prophets. Remember, the prophets were a sign. One would lay on his side and one would do this, but now God is giving them a sign. So this, this, this um, Hanamiel goes and he bought the field in, in verse 9, and, and I won't read it all. But verse 10, I subscribed the evidence. I sealed it and sealed it, he says, and took witnesses and weighed him the money in the balances. So it, the, not only was it bought, but now it was sealed. Now, you know, we, we, can, we can go into what a seal is. A seal, uh, let me just say, that I looked at the dictionary. It says, a seal is a device or a substance that's joined together to pre- prevent something from coming between. And, and it's a seal. Um, it's also... Um, it's got something that it's got a design on it and a document to show that it came from the person who first brought it. So, you know, a seal would be they would stamp something on it. And, and, and then the last part of this definition, it says it's something that confirms. It's something that ratifies. It's something that, that makes secure It's a guarantee. It's an assurance. So the seal was a seal because God wanted to make something sure. He wanted to make sure there was nothing that tampered with it. And and in fact, woe to the man that would tamper with the seal. Woe to them that would break the seal. But the seal was of God because there was a destination in mind at some future appointed time. So here, Jeremiah is sealing it. They are going into captivity. They are going into judgment. It will be 70 years. 
And, and here he's telling him, buy this field, take this evidence, and seal it. Now, I, I want you to think of this not just back then, but I want you to start to think of what God has sealed from the foundation of the world. Are, are you with me? Okay, I'm Brother Mark, I'm going to jump around a little bit just, just <coughs> to do this. Go to, go on to, well, let's just do this for a minute. Acts chapter 15. I'm just going to take it as the Lord's leading. I said that's what I was doing, and I'm, I'm doing that. So Acts chapter 15, and, and we'll go to verse 18. And it says here, known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. Now, he could not be God and, 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 and have to, and if he didn't know this, and, and just allow Satan to come in and wreck it, but God, he had something in his mind that he was working out. And in fact, the enemy was just a tool. The enemy was oblivious. The enemy does not know what God had sealed. The enemy does not know what God had in his mind. What he had in the back part of his mind. And I would say, in this last day, God has broke a seal that is showing what is in the back part of his mind. Revelation chapter 13. I'm sorry, Brother Mark, I'm really jumping around on you. I didn't have it in this order, but just going to take it as the Lord leads. You know, it, and, and, and Revelation 13 is a time when, when there's all kinds of, there's a beast rising out of the sea. You know, there, there, there's a, there, there was a dragon that, that gave him authority, and then there's all these different things. And, and he was, power was given him to blaspheme God, to make war with the saints, and to overcome them. And, and it would come down to this in verse 8. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. Lord willing, I'm going to share some things about what's happening and what's coming into place right around us in this time. Friends, things, dominoes are falling into place. Now let's just take this. And all that dwell on the earth shall worship him, comma, so there's a caveat here, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So everybody whose name is not in that book is going to worship them. But, and, 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 it's, and it says, any man have an ear, let him hear. So, but it's not possible for those whose name in that book to be deceived into worshiping them. Why? Before the foundation of the world, there was a record of all that were to be redeemed under the book, the Lamb's book of life. Now, let me, let me just take it this way, and I want to just say it this way. Look at how the Bible rephrases it in the book of life of the Lamb. Now, is this a record of the Lamb and his life only? Or is it a record of those that are bearing the life of the Lamb in them? And I will say it's more than just the Lamb and His life, but it's those that are identified with the life of the Lamb. There was those in the days of Moses that did not go and follow Dathan and Korah. 
There was those that they didn't understand it. They were men of dignity and power. But why? They had another spirit in them. And they said, I couldn't do it. Why? What was it? It was the life of the Lamb already speaking in them. Now I want you to look at this and think about it. It wasn't that there was a book and that God opens the book. But the, the book is a record. And, 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 and remember, it's a symbology. You know, even in the time of Jeremiah, when Jeremiah would go and he would say, go and do this and seal it. Now, the sealing, and I, I, I'm not going to just jump to it, just listen, because I, I want to do this for the sake of time. The sealing was that it was to be put in an earthen vessel. And the earthen vessel was a perfect type of Christ. And, and so within Christ, there was within him. And, and, and in John 17, he made this tremendous prayer. And he says, I have kept them that were thine. And, and, he, says, and he says, and all mine are thine. And he would say it, so, so God knows them that are his. Second Timothy, I believe it is, 2 verse 19, this is the record. God knoweth them that are his. And he still knows that are his. And he will lose none of them. Friends, if you're praying for a loved one, if you're praying for that ought to give you a security. God's not going to lose one of them, but he's going to keep them. That is your rest. The seal is your rest. Now, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just moving around a little bit on this. Let me, let me take this just to, just to slow down for a moment. But what is a seal? I'm going to take what Brother Branham says now. What is a seal? A seal, the first thing is, it shows that a work has been completed. Now remember when Brother Bannon would talk about how the boxcar was to be loaded up, and the inspector would come by, and when the boxcar was loaded up, he would look inside, he would shake it, and if it rattled, or there was loose parts, he would not seal it. But once everything was in place and it was, and it was snug, he sealed it. It was a finished work. The work was finished before the foundation of the world. When the Lamb was slain in the mind of God. And, and, and Jesus just came to fulfill it. But we were sealed in with him then. And that's why you can respond to the message now. So here it is. Now, if you look at it, he says, a seal is a, is a sign that a work has been completed. The next thing the seal shows is ownership. And he says, and the next thing is a security keeping it. So let's just go back for a moment. It's a completed work. Let, 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 me, let, let me just take ownership first. I want to I just deal with it. So Brother Bannon would say, in the breach, a seal signifies ownership. A seal has a mark on it. When you are bought by the blood of Jesus and sealed by the Holy Ghost, you no longer belong to the world or anything pertaining to the world. You are owned by God. Everything is His. Your job, your well-being, your family, your wife, your plans, your everything. But it belongs to God. 
And whenever the devil comes against you, you don't have to worry that you're doing something you want to do on your own. Say, Lord, I'm here because you called me. I'm here fulfilling your word. I belong to you. The enemy is coming. Lord, look what he's doing. And you can rest in that. <coughs> so 2 Timothy 2 verse 19, just put that up. I referred to it. But ownership. 2 Timothy 2, verse 19. The foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. Let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Acts 20, verse 28. Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers, to feed the church of God which he has purchased with his own blood. This church is, is not Brother Harold's church or my church. This is God's church. We're only overseers. We're only looking over it. But God purchased it with his own blood. And there ought to be a deep respect for that. And for one another. And you ought to recognize that's not just Brother so-and-so rubs my shoulders. That is a part of the purchase of God. And we need to recognize they are owned by God. Now, Brother Branham actually would go quite far in saying this, and he talks about the end time. God's wanting to place his church. We've, we've heard a little bit about placing, getting our place. Sons and daughters. And he says, oh God, let me live it. This is in adoption number four. It's what I've longed to see when, when a time when there's a cripple laying there from his mother's womb and you come up to him and say, silver and gold have I none, oh, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God, when God will make himself known, when they'll stop sicknesses, when they'll stop cancer, when they'll stop diseases. He says, do you think cancer is something? There's coming a time when men will rot in their flesh and the buzzards will eat off their carcasses. Cancer's a toothache to what's coming. I believe we're living in that time. But remember what a horrible thing that was in that day. It was forbidden to touch those that had the seal of God. Oh, we ought to thank God that we are part of His. He says that's what we're striving for, to get in and be positionally placed into the kingdom before these horrible plagues strike. Friends, God has sealed us from the beginning. But at the end time, he's coming to make that seal known to us. Now I need to just slow down and labor at this a little bit. Leviticus 25. Let's go back to the Old Testament. <coughs> I took chapter 26, where if they were disobedient, they would be sold into the land every, every year. But let's just look at God's law. Leviticus 25, verse 18. This is the natural land. And he says, wherefore, you shall do my statutes, keep my judgments, and do them, and you shall dwell in the land in safety. Now, I'm going to preserve some time. I'll go down to verse 23. The land shall not be sold forever. And he makes this statement, for the land is mine. Now, there was laws governing the land. So, for instance, if somebody would, would become poor or sick or go in debt and they would sell out their portion of the land, 
That could only be for a period of time. It could not be forever because the land was God's. And God would cause you to return to that land by one of a several, several means. One was by the year of Jubilee. One was by a kinsman redeemer. But the land would not be sold. So even if you came to the world and you're in a negative state, you came in a wrong way by virtue of your second birth. Maybe your parents did something wrong. Maybe you had different things. But the land could not be sold forever because you belong to God. So the right of redemption had to come to you. Why? Because you belong to God. So he would say, the land shall not be sold forever. The land is mine. You are strangers and sojourners with me. And in all the land of your possession, you shall grant a redemption for the land. Now, if you remember, and, 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 and we won't turn to it so much today, but in, in Genesis chapter 23, we remember Abraham, Sarah had died, and he goes to the sons of Heth, and he tells them, I want to buy this portion of land. There's a whole chapter uh, that is dedicated to this. And they want to give it to him. And Abraham says, no, no, no. I don't want you to give it. I'm going to purchase it. And when he purchases it, it would say in the very end of the last verse, and the field. So, and, 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 and he would say, Abraham buried his wife in the field of Machpelah before Mamre, which is in Hebron in the land. And the field... And the cave which is therein were made sure unto Abraham for a possession of a burying place by the sons of Heth. So Abraham purchased that for Sarah, but you go down a couple of verses later and, and you look at it, and, and in, in chapter 25, verse 10, it says, The field which Abraham purchased of the son, there was Abraham buried when he was buried, and Sarah his wife was there. So Abraham took footsteps, he buried, was buried in that place, but it was sealed. He had the possession, he had the evidence. In other words, it was like an abstract, nothing could come between. They could have given it to him, the record would have been gone, but Abraham had the purchase. Oh my. There was a woman who was in the time and had a husband whose name was Abimelech, or Elimelech. And, 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 and she lost her husband and her sons and went into the land of Moab. She came back, and with her she came back with, with one of her uh, husband's wives, which was Ruth, and came into the land. Well, the land was lost to her, but there was a kinsman. Now, the kinsman could have performed that right of a kinsman redeemer. But there was something attached to this. There was a woman named Ruth. And, and that woman, there's a whole story of, of a romance that happened. But, and, you know, the, and the world knew nothing of it. We read the story. But, but they knew very little of it in the time of Israel. And all of a sudden, one day, here comes Boaz forward. And, and, and he... He has a desire for this Gentile bride, but he has to redeem, redeem my, Naomi's field. And so he comes and he, he approaches a closer kinsman and says, can you take it? And he says, no, I don't want to mar my inheritance. 
Because he identifies you're going to have to raise up seed. Who knows? Maybe he couldn't raise up seed. But he didn't want to identify with Ruth the Moabitess. And so the first thing that all of Israel really knows about it, here comes Boaz. He steps in the gate and he says, This day have I redeemed Naomi and I've also redeemed Ruth the Moabitess. Oh, friends, from that moment on, everything changed. Everything changed. It was a seal. It was in the gates of the elder. It was made perfect. Nobody could ever point at Ruth the wrong way. Nobody could ever chastise Naomi and says, Oh, you shouldn't have gone out that way. You shouldn't have done all that. It was all made clear. The record was settled. Why? It was a seal of God. Now, let me go back. Revelations chapter 5. You don't have to turn to this. This is the Revelations chapter 5 is what Brother Branham talks about. <coughs> And, and it's the message he preaches in 1961. And he's talking. Now he says, he says, where did he put your name on the Lamb's book of life? Before the foundation of the world. When was Christ slain? 1900 years ago? Question mark. No, sir. Before the foundation of the world. The lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. When Jesus came, he came to his own. He came to those whose names were on that book, those that were identified with him. So he says, what's he doing? He's talking about Revelation chapter 5. It's those seals opening up. He's begun to reveal the plan of redemption. And he says, now the kinsman is handing over the seven-sealed book of redemption from the original owner. Now, I'm, I'm going to come to this in a moment. I, I'm, I'm really covering a lot of things, but I just want to touch on some things. And like I said, if we have to approach it again, we will. When did we lose it? It was in the Garden of Eden through Adam. It went back to the original owner. Who was the original owner? It was God. But, but God could not keep the book because he was not the intended recipient of the book. When God made Adam a God of the earth, that was when he gave Adam the title deed. And listen, he didn't just give him a book. Adam didn't walk around the garden with a book in his hand. But he had authority. He had a position. He had a place. And when he had that place, he, he would walk around the garden and he knew his position. He knew his place. It was God given to him. And Adam would begin to speak and say things. Now, a part of this was also going to be made manifest in that there would be further offspring. There would be a multiply and replenish. Now, friends, that could not, it could happen in all of nature. It could happen through a natural seed succession. But this was going to be on a higher order. This was going to require the interaction of, of the tree of life. It was not just going to be. So there was a part of the tree of life, which was Christ, that Adam never came to. 
There was something that Israel never came to in the time of Solomon. There was something that the Gentiles never came to in the time of the Ephesians. But in this end time, we are coming to it. It is being wrapped up. Oh, friends, it's a glorious time. Let's not lose it. Let's understand it for what God has given us. So, Adam. Now, I, I, I want you to just take it so... He lost it. It goes back to him. But it could not go back just to Adam. It had to now go to a kinsman. Because Adam lost the right to it. Brother Adam would actually say, and the devil, he couldn't get his greasy hands on it either. <laughs> He's got nothing to do with this. <laughs> this is the work of God. I will cause it to happen. And he says, oh... The earth doesn't belong to him. He's just a poacher. He's a squatter. He may be the prince of the power of the air. He may cause typhoons in the Philippines. He may cause uh, hurricanes in, in, in Central America. But I know the master of the wind. And I know what he is giving me. I know the thoughts that he is intending for me. It is not just that we can speak over nature, but that I can be with him through eternity. That's just the byproduct. It's not that we can go and we're not seeking signs and wonders and all these things. We're just desiring for, we came from him. We're going back to him. And there's no devil. There's nothing on earth that can stop it. Why? I belong to him. A seal is ownership. A seal is a finished work. And it came at an appointed time. It's now at this time that we are capturing what was behind that seal. Now, he would say the title deed of our redemption the seven sealed, it's a title deed. Now, let's go for a moment to Revelations chapter 5. Revelations chapter 5, verse 5. And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. Now, Brother Branham would talk about it, and he would say, and I'm just going to read something from the breach. There's so many things I could reach, read from the breach. But it says, and, and let, me, let me just say it this way. We sometimes think, and like I said, Adam wasn't walking around with a physical book. But it was a record of the life of the Lamb. Okay, now just think of it this way. So when we think these seals are broken, sometimes we, we put a picture. Yeah, there, there, there was a scroll up there in heaven. And Brother Branham would actually describe it this way. He says, there was a scroll, it was wrapped, and then a seal was put on it. And then there was another scroll wrapped, and there was a seal put on it, and it was the seven-sealed book. And that book could not be opened by anyone. So the scene, now remember, it was sealed for a purpose. It was sealed for a destination. 
what Jeremiah sealed at the time of the going into captivity was with a purpose that God says, they are mine, they belong to me, I've got ownership over them, it's a finished work, nobody can break that seal, but at the appointed time, and it will be a security to them. It will be something they can rest on. And, and nobody could break it except the intended person. So it couldn't be broken by God, but it had to be a kinsman redeemer. So it was a part of God, but he had identified himself with men. He had tread the winepress. He had walked as a man. He had taken everything on earth as a man, and he was worthy. He paid the ultimate price. And he paid the price and he ascended on high, waiting. Now, the book was waiting for redemption's claims. So while Jeremiah had sealed this book, had made this evidence, now it was going to wait until an appointed time. And Jeremiah, he put in there, he knew he might not be there, but it was going to be passed on to those that were dear to him. It was going to be passed on to his family. And God was doing the same thing. This book he was going to pass on to his family. It wasn't just knowledge. It wasn't mystery. But it was going to be an opening. And when it was open, there would be a group of people on earth and say, Hold on. That's me in there. I see my name in there. I see my life in there. And when you saw that, you said, Praise God. I was always with him. I never belonged to the devil. I never was intended to serve him. But I was always his. Oh, thank God for that. What a surety. Now, he says, <coughs> and it's amazing, this, in the breach, Brother Ryan would say, John was looking, there was no one worthy to take the book to open the seals. And he says, all of creation was lost. It wasn't good enough that he would die for us, but it had to be that he would claim us, and he would have to say, these are the ones that I've died for. So while he's weeping, they say, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed. And now John turns to look, and he's looking for a lion, but he's not seeing a lion. He says, and, I, and he says, in the midst of the throne and the four beasts in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. And he came and he took the, the, the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Where did he start? In the throne. Where did he take the book from? The throne. You know, there's so much made. Oh, he's off the mediatorial seat. No, he's still in the throne. Where is the bride with him? They will be gathered with him in the throne. No, he came and he took the, the book out of the right hand of him. Now, so it was a seven-sealed book, but it wasn't just a book. 
It was the mystery that was held your life and my life. And there was going to be something that the God deposited you on earth that when this seal was opened up, that you would recognize, hold on, that's what I was always looking for. That's the missing component. I couldn't understand why I could never put the Bible together. But I see serpent seed. Oh, it opened up. What an illumination. I could never understand why this happened or that happened. And all of a sudden it just unfolds. And the person who might be right next to you, what's he talking about? Why? It's only to those that are in the book. Now there's a really interesting part that I don't have time to get into. But if you go to Daniel chapter 12, oh my goodness, let's jump there real quick. Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12. And at that time, Shall Michael stand up, the great prince, which stands for the people of thy, for the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble. Now look at the time that's identified. It's a time of trouble. Has there ever been a time like this? And he says, and, and such as there never was since there was a nation even to the same time. But at that time, thy people shall be delivered. Every one that shall be found written in the book. Oh my goodness. Let's drop down to verse 4. But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words, seal the book, even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. Oh, these things fit so perfectly. Remember, while Jeremiah was in Israel, Daniel was over there in captivity. And Daniel was starting to live out the other part of this. It was Daniel who recognized at a certain time, it's just about 70 years, and he enters into it. It was at a certain time that he recognizes this, and God shows him the whole program for Israel. Daniel's 70 weeks. And it was also in Daniel chapter 12, he's identifying all these things. Let's just drop down to verse 9. And he says, go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. So no matter how much you probed at it, no matter how much you tried, you could not break the seal. A seal has to arrive at its destination. And there has to be someone at the destination who is a partaker of that seal. I, you know... You may have, i got to watch what I say, you may have an Uncle Harry or an Uncle Nestor or whatever it may be, and maybe he passes on. And, and you had a little relationship with him, and you know he's left some things. And you're wondering, I wonder if he left me anything. But before he would leave, he would have to take and give his last will and testament. And he would have to go to a notary who would seal it and say, this is a record of the last will and the thoughts. And it will only be enacted once he is dead. And once he is dead, it will set into motion certain events. Once the lamb died on the cross and he said, it is finished, it set into motion certain events that could not be stopped. And so when it comes time and you wonder if your name is on the book and, and, and maybe you heard, you know, that your Aunt Martha or somebody got a letter in the mail saying they had to appear at the lawyer's office. 
And then you're wondering, oh, she's probably in the will. And, and maybe you heard about your cousin Alexander. I'm just using all kinds of names off the top of my head. Uh, he got a letter. And, and then, you know, so you're just checking the post office every day. And then one day a letter shows up. And you thought, well, I happen to know Aunt Martha was really close to his Uncle Nestor, whoever he was. I forget his name now. And I know my cousin Alexander did a lot of good things. And they wouldn't be called except their name. And for me to be called? Listen, the very fact that you're called to the reading of the will ought to tell you something. I'm a part of this. I'm a part of this inheritance. Only those whose names are there are called to the reading of the will. Oh, you should rejoice. Why does this message mean so much to us? Because it is the will of God. His last testament. His desire for his blood-bought church. My. Hallelujah. Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Verse 10. Many shall be purified. Many shall be made white and tried. But the wicked shall do wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. So even at the time of this unsealing, it's still sealed to some. Because they keep on doing the same thing. But it's only open to a certain class of people. I don't have time. This will be another message. But you go to Revelation chapter 10. And a mighty angel comes down. And Brother Ram says, he's got the same book, but now it's open. And he comes down, and when he comes down and puts his hand his, his, his foot on the land and on the sea, and he utters his voice, and, and he says, and then seven thunders uttered their voices. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And Daniel was about to write. And, and God said, don't write it, Daniel. Seal it up. Now, this is another sealing. This is a sealing of that which is not written. Oh, you talk about the devil doesn't know a thing. It's not even written. He does, it's a different ceiling. Friends, there is some things, I don't, don't ask me why, but you come to a certain scripture and it burns in your heart. And you don't know why and you just follow through. There's certain things that happen. God gives you examples and he breaks that to you and says, hold on a second. I am Ruth. I am those, that, or I am like Simeon at a certain time. Friends, I, that's a different message. I, I, I'll leave it for, for another time. But it's a finished work. Brother Random would say, this book could not be broken until this last angel's message. The scroll's there. We know it's there. We know it was redemption. We believe it was redemption. And now he says, these messages are all kept up until this earthly vessel, until God's appointed time of the last messenger at earth. And all that these people who judged it and said, I know it's there. I believe it's there. They fought it. They brought forth. They produced things by faith. They believe it. But now it's brought to us by revelations and from the hand of God by vindication. God said so. He promised it. Oh, hallelujah. Okay, I've, I've got to be true to my word. So this will be the last quote. Let's have the musicians go. It's 9 o'clock. <coughs> Brother Branham would say, and Jeremiah would say actually, as a type, go and put this in an earthen vessel. An earthen vessel that would be sealed. You know, when Joseph went down to Egypt, he was the earthen vessel that would pro provide redemption for Jacob and for all his brothers. 
but it was sealed with him. God gave him a dream. He knew it was real. It was sealed to his father. It was sealed to his brothers. But all along that was in there, all along while he was in Pharaoh or Potiphar's house and in Pharaoh's dungeon, there was this something, but it's got to be. And at a certain time, so he was, God could have saved Israel in numerous ways, but he took Joseph as a type of which is Christ. And he, and he took Christ, who had sealed within himself the life of the Lamb, of which we were to be made partakers. And he says, I will become a man like them. I will become a kinsman for them. For the land cannot be sold forever. The land is mine. They are mine. I purchased them. I'm going to claim them now. And so it had to be a kinsman. His blood was the holy created blood of God. This is from, from Breach. He said, we are not saved by Jewish blood. We're not saved by Gentile blood. We're saved by the blood of God. Jesus was God. He was not a third person, a fourth person, a second person. He was the first person. And then he starts singing, down from his glory, ever living story. My God and Savior came. Listen, why don't you start playing that? And Jesus was his name, born in a manger, to his own a stranger, a man of sorrows, tears, and agony. Oh, what condescension. Oh, bringing us redemption. When in the dead of night, not one faint hope in sight, God, precious, tender, laid aside his splendors, splendors stopping to woo and save my soul. Oh, how I love him. How I adore him, my breath, my sunshine, my all in all. Friends, I, I, I just took 45 minutes to 55 minutes just to sp quickly give you what's on my heart. But I pray God would make it so real. Let's stand together and why don't we sing some of this song?
thing about a kinsman. He had to be able to redeem. He had to be of the right lineage. And he had to be willing. And he had to be willing to share. He had to be willing to redeem it, not for himself, but for others. So when God redeemed back to us what Adam lost, he didn't just give you a little place where you're an offscouring. He came to redeem the fullness and, and the full rights of everything Adam lost. In Jeremiah 32, after they were told to take the evidence of the purchase and put them in an earthen vessel, verse 15 it said, For thus saith the Lord, houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again. When Christ died and went to the cross and the veil was rent, the cherubims which had sealed up the way to the tree of life began to usher man back. And under four anointings, they ushered it. And under the eagle anointing, we're being ushered back. You know, the final part of that was actually in verses 37 to 44. I won't read all of it. But he says, Jeremiah says, after I've sealed it, behold, I will gather them from all the countries. Verse 37. Verse 38. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Verse 39. And I will give them one heart and one way, that they may fear me forever for the good of them and of their children. Verse 40. I will make an everlasting covenant with them, and I will not turn away from them. Verse 41, yes, I will rejoice over them to do good. Verse 42, all this evil, so will I bring good on them. And the fields that you've bought in this land that you say are desolate, men shall buy fields for money, subscribe evidences, seal them and take them. In other words, no man's inheritance could be lost. Oh, we have an inheritance. God's bringing it back to us. Oh, friends, let's walk in it. God told Abraham, this land, the Canaanites in the land, you start to walk in it. It's all yours. Describe the land. Know the land. I think we ought to walk in it. I don't think we ought to just come to God every day and say, oh, forgive me. Oh, forgive this. I think we ought to exercise some of what he's purchased. I think we need to live a little higher and not go through the cycle of up and down and say, hold on a second. I'm going to start walking in it. I'm going to start claiming healing. I'm going to start claiming my loved ones. I'm going to start claiming my rights. I'm not going to live below my privileges. God has given it to me in this last day. God has given me everything I have need of to be over there. How do I know it? Because I'm taking my position. I'm exercising my position. That includes husbands exercising their position. Wives exercising their... No, and it's not I'm the boss, and it's not pointing to this one, but by leadership and example. I think we heard that all weekend. I'm coming to church. I'm going to serve God's people. I'm going to serve God's purpose. 
I think we ought to do all we can. Friends, if we really believe the book has been opened, it's not knowledge up there somewhere, but there's a book being opened right here in front of you. In your heart, it's the life of God that's in you. Your life that was rightfully yours before the foundation of the world. Hallelujah. Well, I didn't know where I could stop, but I believe the Lord had His way. Amen. Here I am to worship. Light of the world.